Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, guys. Are you planning your next litter of puppies now that you've finished your owner-breeder handle, bitch? If so, the Embark for Breeders DNA Kit can give you the genetic health test results you need to make the right decisions for your breeding program. As the highest rated and most accurate dog DNA kit on the market, thousands of breeders have trusted Embark, including me, to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. Breeder tools include an easy-to-share OFA submission report, as well as understanding the potential coefficient of inbreeding in your projected litter. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK. Their world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And this is the first part of a two-part episode. We're going to be talking today with my friend, Amanda Kelly of Fwaggle Toy Manchester Terriers, is back with me. And we today are going to talk about y'all owner handlers and how to, why to, and when to present your dog like a pro, but better. Exactly. I'm very excited about this. I know. So I was a professional handler for low these many years. You, Amanda, are an owner handler Mm -hmm. in Canada, very successful one, but an owner handler. And so we bring very different perspectives to this conversation, I think. Yeah, although I suspect that we may agree on more than we disagree on. (laughs) I think that's probably true. But I think it's super important that we understand that there are two sides to the story. Mm -hmm. There's always two sides to every story. And owner handlers, frequently, I hear the story of feeling besieged, feeling out of their depth, feeling Mm -hmm. overwhelmed, feeling as if they were, as we were talking earlier, dumped, and that they were only beaten because the professional handler is well-known or what have you. Mm -hmm. I know this is a common thought process. I will tell you in 25 years, I probably saw it happen. I didn't see it happen every day, every time, every ring, every breed, every judge at all. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting thing. As an owner handler, I am not going to sit here and say that I have never felt that way because I certainly have. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all kind of kvetch sometimes about, you know, what goes on and what does and doesn't happen. But I have a very specific memory of a time when I really felt like that. I really felt like the odds are stacked against us, which, you know, I think that we have to recognize in some ways that there is some truth to that, to be fair. But I have this very specific memory of watching Westminster one year and David Frey 
was doing his usual magnificent job of hosting. And he made a comment that the sport of purebred dogs is one of the only sports in the world where professionals and amateurs play together on an equal level playing field. And at the time, I have to be honest with you, it incensed me. I was enraged by this statement, enraged, because I was sitting at home watching Westminster and almost every single dog in every single group was shown by a professional handler. And so, of course, you know me, I'm a numbers lady. I'm all about the research. So, you know, you get my backup. I pulled every breed result for Westminster, the entire show, and looked at who was showing what dog. Oh my God, Amanda, only you, honey. <laughs> I know, I am such a loser. <laughs> or really OCD. I was going to go with OCD myself, but you know what else? Oh my God, no, let's just call it what it is. I am a loser. So I pulled all of this and I looked at it and I was like, you know, all of these dogs at these major shows at that point in time, and I pulled, you know, group placement records from all of the major shows in that time period. And then I did kind of a random sampling from across the United States because, you know, InfoDog lets you do that kind of stuff. So, you know, what I saw at that time was that all of these major shows, it didn't matter, you know, at the time it was Royal Canaan or Yukonuba, pardon me, at the time. It didn't matter if it was there or in New York. The majority of the, certainly the group wins in the best in shows. And at the major shows, almost all of the best of breed wins. And even getting right down into best of offices, sex and awards of merit were primarily shown by professional handlers. And I remember I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was a professional handler. And I was just going on and on and on about this. And he said, well, but it's true. You know, really professionals and owner handlers do go head to head. And I remember thinking and saying to him, he said, you know, it's just like football. And I'm thinking, well, we pay to watch professionals play football. We don't pay for professional football to beat us up. And so that perspective, that feeling that you can't do it, that you can't compete is a very real thing. And I think that we all, as a sport, at our own peril, ignore that perspective. But I have another piece to this story. So I write this, I remember, oh my God, I was just on a tear about this. I was so enraged about this poor David Frey statement that I just, like, I couldn't let it go for months. So I would say probably, couldn't have been more than two months later, I was down in Florida visiting a friend, went to the dog show, showed a bitch that belonged to us walked in the ring the first day and won the group. So under a judge that I have never seen, she's never seen me. She clearly was just picking the dog that she really liked. And I thought in that moment, I thought to myself, well, shit, there goes the whole theory. <laughs> well, and I mean, here's the thing about it. The reality check is I was a professional handler. There was a lot of years that I spent getting beaten by owner handlers, more famous professional handlers, right? <laughs> P.S. More skilled professional handlers. Okay, this is the reality check. Right. You know, and I think that our understanding of this 
extremely bizarre game that we play mm-hmm. and call a hobby and appreciation for it. The important pieces to it are always, always, always the cream rises to the top. And that means the best presentation, mm-hmm. the best grooming, the best conditioning, and oh, oh wait for it, the best dog. Mm-hmm. So if you, Amanda Kelly, have the best dog that is the best trained, the best conditioned, and the best groomed, and you and I walk in the ring together, we're now even. Ish. Ish. <laughs> Depending on the judge, the competition, the situation, right. etc. That's all right. I'll say we're more even. Certainly more even. And here's a couple things that I tell people. My advantages as a professional handler. My advantage is this is what I do all day. This is what I do every day. This is all I do. Right. If I'm not better at it than you are, we're in a world of hurt. That's right. My disadvantages are I have 10, 15, 20, maybe 30 dogs with which I am doing all of this. Mm -hmm. And I am doing it all the time. And I am at the dog show and my assistants are running amok. And I'm like, bring me that dog. What's its name? Damn it. What's its name? Okay. That happens. And the first time as a baby dog handler, I heard a handler I respected say that I was mortified. I was like, oh my God, how horrible is that? Until I got to be that handler that said, what's that dog's name? Get me that dog. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) now that person. Oh, and I was very careful about limiting the number of dogs I showed. I was very much prided myself on being a boutique dog handler, not a Walmart dog handler, right? Mm-hmm. Like this was a big deal to me. And I still couldn't think of that dog's name. Would it make you feel better if I tell you that sometimes I can't think of <laughs> like my sister's name? Well, it could be there's some there's mental feeling going on, but that's <laughs> right. My father once introduced my mother as what's her name, that girl I married, you know, so I mean, it could be a family thing. But the point that I'm making, and I'm making a joke of it, but truly and honestly, you have a dog. Perhaps you have two or three. Maybe. I have, at minimum, a half dozen, probably 10, probably 15. Yeah. You know, I had a conversation this weekend that sort of hooks onto what you're talking about here as far as the kind of advantage, disadvantage. And, you know, I've had friends, Alison Foley is a great mm-hmm. example. She always mm-hmm. said that her greatest threat was a really good owner or breeder handler. Without question. A hundred percent. That's the person she was the most afraid of in the ring. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation this weekend about the concept of, you know, winning and losing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a place you have to start from. Yes. Before you get to whether or not you're winning when you should win or losing when you should lose, you first have to have a a concept of what winning and losing really is. Mm -hmm. So just as an example, and I know that this isn't necessarily directly related to what we're talking about, in which case it'll be edited out later. Yeah, it's perfect. (laughs) This is one of our little squirrels and its fluffy tail is running the other way and we're chasing it. That's right. Someone said to me, I was dumped. And I thought to myself, dumped seems like a rather strong term. Because I really think that 
one of the problems that we have in measuring our own success or failure is that we often ascribe intent where there is none. Yes. So to say I was dumped, like to be dumped, like that's a verb. That is an action that a judge has chosen to take. Now, Laura, I know that you have been there. I have also been there. I actually had a judge who took me by the hand at the end of the line to specifically signify to me that I was the worst one in the ring. That's right. That's being dumped. (laughs) But there is a very big difference between being dumped and not winning. And if you understand that. I think that's so important, Amanda. I really think that's critical for people to understand because this is a competitive sport. It is a subjective sport, Mm -hmm. which is difficult. I mean, there's a written standard, but it's each person's interpretation of that standard. And the judge may very well, and I've been in this situation. I'm like, well, I like this better about this dog. And I like this better about that dog. But I'm going to put this dog up today because X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And so that isn't being dumped. That is the judge has selected a dog that on this day they liked better than my dog. That's right. That's just not winning. Like if you can't see the difference between those two things, you're setting yourself up for a world of hurt in this sport and a lot of disappointment. So I think that that's kind of a foundation piece that you really need to examine is how are you viewing winning and losing? as a first step. And secondly, in addition to how you're viewing winning and losing, you also, I think, need to start with realistic goals of what you want to achieve. You know, I teach handling classes. It's one of my favorite things in the world to do. I love it. Favorite. Love it. My students are the greatest students mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that a lot. You know, we talk about that in every context. When we start a class, we do it with intention. So we don't go in there and say, we're going to work on everything. We say, tonight, I go around the room. What do you want to work on? So that we can pick some things that will help with whatever the group is looking at. Mm -hmm. But it extends to the show weekend and or the show year or however you're defining your success. Correct. You are not being realistic if you have your very first show dog that's a, I don't know, a Cocker Spaniel. You've never groomed a dog. You've never shown a dog, but you want to be the number one Cocker Spaniel in the United States. Ain't happening. That is not going to (laughs) happen. It's just not. It could be the greatest Cocker Spaniel that ever lived, and it's not going to happen. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. With over 1 billion, with a B, in claims paid, Trupanion has you covered. Whether you're a dedicated breeder, a loving owner, or both. Trupanion is also the first pet insurance provider to offer a special breeding rider that you can add to your coverage. That way, you know your dogs are covered from common health concerns associated with breeding and whelping, like emergency C-sections, for example. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. For listeners who have followed Pure Dog Talk for all of these long five years, you'll go back and you'll remember one of my very first sort of 
foundation episodes. And we're doing this new foundation series as we approach episode 500 Mm -hmm. to really kind of drill down into some of these things and have little different perspectives on some of it. But one of the things I talked about is having a plan, having the right dog at the right time. Mm -hmm. You can have the most amazing dog of your breed out when the actually most amazing dog of your breed is also being campaigned and you're not going to go buy it because that dog could have more money or that dog could have whatever. So I think that it's really, really tough when your timing is wrong and you have a great dog and you have to stop and you have to assess your situation. And we're talking now about campaigning a dog as a special. This can apply to showing a dog to finish his championship. Mm -hmm. You know, it can apply to a lot of different things. You can have a very good dog, even an excellent dog, and there's going to very possibly or even likely be a dog better than yours in competition with you. Mm -hmm. And you're going to lose to that dog because it's a better dog, not because you're an owner handler and that one's professionally handled, but because it's actually a better dog. Sometimes, yes. What? No, they often are. Very good dogs. Dog handlers, here's a perspective piece. Dog handlers, rarely. Good dog handlers. Let me make an amendment to that statement. Good dog handlers do not take subpar dogs. Absolutely. I will agree with that statement. And good dog handlers know what a good dog looks like, and they know how to maximize its qualities. Well, and you have to know your breed inside out and upside down. Mm -hmm. But more than that, you have to know the sport and the wider context that your breed is being exhibited in. So just as a very simple example, if you have a dog that excels in breed type, but is perhaps not the best on the move, if you are taking that dog into the ring under sporting dog expert, probably they're not going to appreciate the finer aspects of breed type on a dog that's not a great mover. And so if you don't have a really great handle on sort of the more generic aspects of dog shows, then it it would be difficult to be able to look at your dog in context of all of the dogs that are in the ring, whether you're at breed level or group or at best in show level, and what that judge might be looking at, what perspective they're coming at their job with. Mm -hmm. And that's a really, really, really valid point. I just had a conversation with a very dear friend of mine who is a St. Bernard specialist. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about judging the breed. And for the nine millionth time, he's one of my mentors in St. Bernard's. And I said, you know, you tell me X, Y, and Z, and then I do X, Y, and Z. And you say, no, you did it wrong because of B. Like, which one is most important? So it's that type and soundness thing, right? Right. And not even just type, which aspect of type. So in the St. Bernard, proportionally tall and powerful is like a big deal, but -hmm. also is the head type. Right. And those are both aspects of type. And so again, keeping in mind when you exhibit your dog, where does your judge come from? What mindset do they come from? Who mentored them? Mm -hmm. Who taught them? What experiences do they have as an individual? My understanding of any breed is going to be based on my experience and my education and my opportunities to see that dog in that breed, not that individual dog, but that breed as a whole. And in the context of the group and the wider, as you say, dog show community. 
So understanding your judge is a absolutely foundational piece of being successful as an owner handler or a professional handler and goes to the why professional handlers frequently are successful is because they have shown a lot of dogs in a lot of different places, in a lot of different breeds to a lot of different people. Yes. And they have had the opportunity to see what this judge has done in 16 states with 27 different breeds over the course of 30 years. That knowledge is invaluable and makes a tremendous difference. Okay, but let's talk about how people can actually fix that. Good. Because, you know, we all recognize that there's a kind of an innate imbalance there. You know, Mm -hmm. we've established that. And we can circle back to it because I have many thoughts. But I have so many questions. (laughs) But let's talk about how people can fix it. Because, you know, at the end of the day, my Lord, if you didn't have any hope of ever being able to overcome it, then why would you bother to enter and go to the damn show? Exactly. I think that, first of all, I think the best thing that you can do for yourself is to find yourself a really great class, find yourself a really great mentor. If there's no classes in your area, look at, there are tons of online classes and opportunities to be mentored by professionals at a distance. Mm-hmm. Pure dog talk is one of them. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Someone who's really good can help you by Zoom. You can describe what's happening. You can show what's happening and they can give you, you know, some things to try. And there's a lot of great options that we've featured on the podcast. Allison is one of them. Vicki Ronchetti down here in the U.S. There are people who can help you if you live in the back end of Timbuktu. That's right. And when we talk about how we can fix it, I really want to emphasize the part that I was talking about earlier. You have one dog. You have one job. That's right. And I think, you know, from my perspective, and I've taken a lot of criticism for this over the years, shockingly to me, because I find it surprising that it's a controversial thing. But anyway, I think your number one job is to make sure that whatever it is that you choose to do in the ring with your dog, that it's fun for your dog. Yes. I see so many people who are so concentrated on their dog being perfect that they practice them to death Death. by boredom. I mean, the dog, they just start to hate it. So as a personal kind of my own tip for people, whenever they ask me, what can I do to help make my dog stand out? I always say, make sure that your dog has an arsenal of tricks. Yes. I see behavior training for the ring, and there is a difference between kind of ring training and proofing and the behaviors that we're teaching them. But behavior training for the ring is just trick training. Mm -hmm. Every single thing that we want them to do when you walk into the ring is no different than you teaching your dog to sit or roll over or sit up and beg or spin in a circle. They're all tricks. Some of them are a little bit more complicated tricks. You know, if you want, for example, to teach your dog to my favorite trick of all time, I just love it when people do this and they like shoot their dog and it falls over dead. I love that trick. But it's it's not something you teach in one fell swoop. So I think that that's kind of key is to recognize that some of the behaviors that we want are multi step behaviors that you have to teach in little pieces. And I think professionals often you've done it so many times that you don't really think about how you're doing it and how you're holding the lead and how you're holding the head and blah, blah, blah. 
new people need to think about that. So you need to find someone to help you who can break things down into little pieces, not only for you, but for your dog. And the importance of that, from my perspective, is that it keeps both of you from getting discouraged. If you're trying to teach a child to do math, you don't teach them advanced trigonometry first. You start with two plus two. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And there are days I struggle with that to this day. Exactly. Offering that up. So I think that the greatest gift you can give yourself is, first of all, patience with yourself. And the greatest gift you can give your dog is patience with your dog. Yes. But the second thing you can give yourself is to find yourself a good teacher who can help you to teach yourself and your dogs the behaviors that are involved in showing in bite-sized pieces that you can actually eat and have some success with. Because if you try to do everything all at once, you are going to get discouraged and you're going to stop. Yeah. All right, Cruz, thank you all for joining us. This has been part one of our episode. Watch this space. Part two will be coming up soon. All right, crew, let's share the love, shall we? Episode 500 is, oh my God, rapidly approaching. And I was searching for inspiration on what to talk about in this episode. And I decided that there is nothing more inspiring to me than the stories you guys have shared about Pure Dog Talk and its impact in your lives. So it's decided. We're having a contest. What, what, what? Write your story for me to share on air as part of our historic number 500 celebration episode. All submissions will be judged by a panel of celebrity listeners. Judges will select three stories to be included in part or in entirety in the episode. There's something you don't see every day. Episode 500 will air on October 25th. Deadline for story entries is October 1st. Submissions should be sent to laura at puredogtalk.com. I can't wait to share the love. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.